Enjoy it. Soak it up. John John Flores is your champ. I mean, sorry, Jack Robinson. Jack Robinson. Jack Robinson is your champ. <laughs> And welcome back to The Drop. This week is going to be a little bit different. We're actually going to do the stab cusp first because of how interesting Margaret River was. I mean, it really was the biggest news of the week, so it kind of makes sense to just chuck it up front. So Stace and I are going to get into everything that happened there from the cut line to the winners to some definite unpopular opinions about that event. And then after that, Buck and I are going to do the drop. We're going to talk about the other things that happened this week, some of which were kind of tangential to the event that was going on at Margaret River. You probably saw a pretty viral Instagram moment that uh, crept up, you know, like a maybe like a board flying past a face or something along those lines. Uh, we're also going to talk about the new WSL show, Make or Break, and it's really surprising origins like when i say surprising origins you're going to be pretty shocked to learn where the inspiration for this show came from um we're also going to talk about a coyote that attacked a baby on a surfline camera which sounds so odd but it really did happen um among other crazy and wild things that happened this week in surfing uh, at the end, we're going to get into a surf sin where, you know, there's fear, there's loathing, there's not really Las Vegas, but there is cultural appropriation. And yeah, that's it for this week. So I'm going to go ahead and drop us straight into the stab cusp. Well, what a week that was, Mikey. Uh, I am for one shell-shocked, um, but I'm also, you know what, am I entertained? Do I just love the taste of blood, or am I actually genuinely entertained? I'm not too sure yet. Uh, it, it's still crystallizing for me, my experience of the last week. Uh, I think I know you Did you enjoy the tears? No. Nah, I, look, I don't see a massive difference between losing your job halfway through the year and at the end of the year. Whether you lose your job now or you lose your job later, that still sucks. So I would I would side with, I think, side with you on that in that I'm not too sure about the tears, but not from a sense of is it right or wrong or whatever, but i just not too sure about they got pretty hammered in those post-heat interview questions. I wasn't super thrilled on the follow-ups. I think what Laura and Shannon did was a particularly hard job, and I think they did an amazing job. But once you've got your initial reaction out of your Owen Wrights and your Jouchy Anchors, do we really need to pry and pry and keep going? So there's just a human element there to it that I didn't didn't sit too well with me. No, I didn't I didn't enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, it definitely it. felt a bit like theatrical and you could tell that they were being, you know, asked to ask these surfers certain questions to try to get a certain emotional response, which you know, on one hand, I understand, but I agree that it came off a little bit like forced and just kind of rubbing people while they're down, which isn't a great thing. And and it was sad to see how upset people were by it. Um but yeah, to your point, it's interesting because you don't really see that sort of response when people fall off uh, at the last event of the year. So I guess it's just like a different mindset or something. You know, people feel as though something's being taken away from them, um, which is never a good feeling. But I think they can also look at it like, hey, you know, before I would have had to wait a whole year to try to get back on tour. 
and now I can do it in four or five months or whatever it is. So, you know, the it's you get both sides of the coin. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think it is. It was just a heightened experience for everyone. It was shorter, sharper, quicker. The the rise to the top was quicker. You only needed four events to qualify. And the fall off was even quicker. Four, five events and you're done. See you later. So, yeah, I... Uh, I still don't know where I think it sits. I think particularly from a personal side of the things, I just don't think that a surfer like Malia Manuel, who had, I think, a pretty good year, should be off. Um, I think the women's tour is pretty compact. I think there's a lot of good surfers on there. Um, so I think in that sense, I'm still looking at that going, a surfer who makes a final, has a few other results, a quarterfinal and a couple of nights, that's not good enough. Um yeah, so there's a, there's a lot going yeah. on well, there. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, I, yeah, I didn't love, like I said, watching people go through the agony, but it did allow for some pretty interesting storylines going through this event. Like, you had one woman, Gabrielle O'Brien, she made it to the final to solidify her spot. And then Isabel Nichols did it by winning the final, which she's obviously never won a CT before. So that was like a huge leap for her career in multiple ways. Um, unfortunately, as you noted, we lost Malia as a result, but I thought that, you know, and, and then you look over the other side and you see Maddie McGillivray who did the unthinkable like that can't even really call it a turn. What he did in Kanoa's heat, it wasn't a floater. It wasn't a turn. I guess you'd call it a re-entry, but, um, that was just heroic. And I don't really see people doing things like that in any other, you know, middle of the year event if there's not something else on the line. So that was really impressive as well. So, um, at, at the end, though, like to me, you know, it wasn't just about like the mid-year cut isn't just about this like entertaining moment in and of itself. You know, it's about how that fits into the entire structure of the WSL's new tour system that I think is valuable. And we've also yet to see the fruits on the back half of the season with shorter, shorter event windows, uh, fewer people kind of creaming the crop. And yeah, I'm interested to see if that does feel better um, or not. I'm, I'm hoping it does, but you never know. For sure. Um, again, it does feel like that whole week had a lot more emphasis on it than maybe it needed to because there is a bigger picture at play here, like you said. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But again, though, we could probably talk about it for hours. And like I said, I have a new memory card in this uh, Zoom recorder. So we've got 49 hours to, to talk through this. Uh, and I, I just think which I'm sure the WSL are aware of this, but there's a lot of teething issues now that will show with this new tiered system. I think there's been a little bit of propaganda there sort of spruiking this. It's very tiered. It's very structured. It's better for everyone, da-da-da-da-da. But at the end of the day, we're still just going to end up with another 20 Adam Mellings who are going to have to do the CT and the QS for the rest of their lives. And that's not poking fun at Melling. He had a fantastic career, but it's more a, it's more a statement of he did double duty his whole career. And I think Yeah, but they're doing from, double from, duty on different parts of the year as opposed to having to do both tours the entire time. Agreed, but I do feel from an outsider's perspective looking in, we are being sold this you know, you do this and then you do that or if you fall off this, you can then go and do that. And it isn't as separated as what it looks. It is much more of just a one I don't see it. I don't see but the I separation. Mean, it's simple. Like if you're, you got one third of the two are falling off, jumping on the QE. That's a yeah. Big but if number. you're good enough, you don't have to. Like it's 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 a merit system, right? Like if you perform well enough in that first half of the year, it's like basically if you 
consider you just have a normal job, right? And if you're really, really good at your job, maybe you get to go home at 3 p.m., you know, while other people, they don't get done till 5 or 6. I think that that's fine. I appreciate your anecdote, but I think it's couldn't be further from the point. <laughs> it, it's, it's just one of these things now where it does trickle down. Oh, let me start with what I think is amazing. The best thing the WSL have done in the last couple of years, or more recently, was lower the pro junior age from 18 to 20. Massive green tick. That is gonna. That is that is the perfect springboard. But now, if you're if you, Morgan Sibilic, getting back to what I don't like about it, he could end up on the regional tour in Bali in May before he goes to South Africa to do Bolito. Now we can go into it or we can't, but that's 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 the reality of the situation. It is it is going to be a lot a lot of grinding out now for 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 everyone. And yeah. I get it. The best of the best. They deserve it better. And I, I will enjoy it as a fan when we are watching shorter event windows. I can't handle it when we have a week off. And I know the tour hates it. The broadcast hate it. The athletes hate it. We're going to be getting events done in much quicker windows, which is, I think, that's my favorite part about the cut, is that we can get them done now quicker in the best swell windows. Yeah, that's so what just I so everybody knows, we're going from 55 heat events on the men's side to 31 so they're nearly halved, basically, the amount of heats that they have to run, and similar for the women. So we can be looking at events where they normally need between four and five days to run. We can do it between two and three days, which two days would be pretty crazy, but I think they could technically do it. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Like, you see a one swell come into Tahiti, and they're going to be able to knock it over. So that's, that's amazing. Um, I feel like we kind of skimmed over it, like you said, with the storylines that were there. Like, massive congratulations to Isabella Nichols. She had to win that event to stay on tour. And I kind of find it similar to when Robbo won Mexico. If you put these athletes in these positions, it gives them the opportunity to perform. And and, and like, to your point, the cream will rise. And, and she did. That That was... Seriously, seriously, well done. That, that, that the amount of pressure and never having won an event before and going up against. I thought she was the underdog in that final. I thought Gabriella had a bit better of a read on the lineup. She's a bit stronger on the wave face. It's a few more options for her. Man, she did such a yeah. Such you a almost good job. think that maybe there was no pressure, right? Because the expectation or the necessity was so high that you'd have to think I'm chances are I'm not going to do that. So I'll just go out and surf every heat the best I can. But if not, you know, I'm going to snapper next week. Forecast looks fun. Not a huge deal. I think she actually had already bought a ticket. That's what she said. Um, so I think that there was probably almost a bit of weightlessness to it all for her. And maybe that allowed her to excel. It's, you know, different people thrive on different sort of mindsets. Fuck, you should be a coach. It's just that <laughs> but, easy. Okay, so we kind of, uh, we, we, Obviously, I've been talking about the cut this entire time, but I feel like we need to just run through the list of people who got cut because um, it's easy to forget a few of the names. So on the men's side, we lost Owen Wright, Joel Chianca, Morgan Sibilic, Ryan Callanan, Frederico Moraes, Leo Fioravanti, Imai kalani Duvall, David Silva, Connor Coffin, Zeke Lau, Luca Messinas, and then the three surfers that have been injured this year, Yago Dora, Carlos Munoz, and Liam O'Brien. Then on the women's side, we lost Sally Fitzgibbons, Caroline Marks, who's been out for the majority of the events, Luana Silva, Betty Lou Sakura-Johnson, Molly Picklam, India Robinson, Malia Manuel, and Bronte McCauley. So, um, yeah, of those rookies that we started the year with, we only have one left on the women's side. 
Um, but a few did squeak through on the men's. We have Samuel Poupeau, we have Callum Robson, we have Jake Marshall, and is that it? Jackson Baker. Baker. How could I forget Baker? I've been riding him all year on the freaking the betting train. So, yeah, well done to those four. Um, it, it wasn't easy, but they they made a huge push, and they made a big impact, all of them, I think, on the tour this year. Yeah, incredible, incredible job. I think uh, you picked Callum. I didn't. Uh, I picked Jacko. You picked you, Jacko, though. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, you, you didn't. And then I think we both, unfortunately, we, we weren't too – Fond of Jake, but I'm stoked you did. He's a lovely kid and a great surfer, so I'm, I'm frothing for him. And uh, I don't know. I don't think we had too high hopes for Sammy Pupo either, but didn't he blow us out of the water at Pipeline oh, and beyond? I'm so glad, too. I really love his surfing and approach, and what he did at Pipeline was shocking but impressive. So he had a deal with Mayhem or Sharp Eye, one of the others. COVID came round. He jumped ship to the other one that I didn't mention. He started on one and finished on another. I can't really remember. Ended up with no boards during COVID. Thought he'd just done the mega deal. I think he was jumping across from Mayhem to Sharp Eye and he was just ready to settle in and qualify for the world tour. No boards arriving in Brazil. He's going, what the fuck am I going to do? His dad, Wagner, world-class surfer, world-class shaper, been shaping the boys' boards forever. But once Miguel made the tour, he kind of had to pull back because the demand for world tour athletes is just so high with their boards. Like They're getting so many boards a year that I don't think he could keep up with that back when Miguel made the tour. In comes the situation with Sammy. Rides his dad's boards all through COVID, all through the QE, and now to making the cut. That is the sickest fucking story, and that, that family must just be so Yeah, pumped. I mean, that reminds me of the Jordy story a bit, where obviously Jordy went through so many different board brands in his career only to land back on his dad's. Um, so, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of, like, kind of familial magic going on, or maybe these guys really just are making incredible surfboards. Um, but either way, seems to be working. Um, and on that note, well, actually, no, I want to talk about that later. But what I want to talk about now is the fact that we also had three wild cards on the men's side make it through the cut. And I also wanted to give a little tip of the cap to them. So that's Kyle Belly, Baron Mamiya, and Matthew McGillivray, who all got on to the tour basically via these injury, the injuries from Iago Dora, Carlos Munoz, Liam O'Brien, and then the absence of Gabriel Medina. And God, they made it happen for themselves. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, Elo's walking around event sites, very happy with himself there. Uh, Kyo and Baron are his best friends, uh, and as as they should be. And I think Kyo, that's just poetic justice. Like, can you believe that? That guy is a scrapper, and uh, yeah, he scrapped his way all the way to the top. So good so on him. So we haven't talked at all, actually, about this event. So where do you want to begin? It was kind of all over the place. Yeah, look, I'll go straight for the jugular, and I think no live cut line was a massive miss. I just, you know, I can't believe that was not done uh, sooner. Uh, you want to talk about drama, you want to talk about carnage, you want to talk about all that shit. I, it's just a, a big miss for me, so I can't really hold back on that one. I think we have many a men and women around the world that are pretty handy with uh, Excel spreadsheets. Uh, world Surf Intrigue is a great account that I follow that if you're a bit of a stat nerd, 
or a lazy stat nerd and can't do it yourself and want to tune in, that's a great one. And then obviously Kale Bell Warren, who runs the Lip Podcast. Uh, he was at a wedding, so he was a bit behind the times. But once he got back online and, and, and quickly did up a few little numbers, it just made it so much more, I guess, understandable for the everyday viewer, which is obviously what they're trying to chase. And I just think that, you know, where was it? Why we, we did it on the regional series. So how can they not be doing it on the world tour? I mean, I guess maybe I don't exactly know what you're talking about because they were in the last two days talking about, you know, if this person does this, then this person has to do that. But did you want to see just like a graphic or something? A graphic on screen at the start of every heat where it mm, mattered. Yeah, that would have been a good call. But again, this is all tangential to the surfing that went down at Margaret River this week. We saw some of the biggest scores that we've seen all year, probably consistently the biggest scores we've seen, especially from a few surfers who did well for themselves. Um, do you want to start in the final and work backwards, or do you have some moments from sort of the middle of the event that stood out to you? I think we could just start with the juice, start with the final and work our way backwards. Um, I wish Jack Robinson landed that straight air. That would have been uh, one of the coolest the, things the, ever. The double grab that isn't really a double grab. <laughs> Two singular grabs in <laughs> in one air. Um, yeah, I mean, talk about talk about looking like Bruce Irons in short arm steamer and everything. That was um, that was yeah, uncanny. It was brilliant. Um, so yeah, I guess the the big thing that, and we've been talking about this a bit in the stab office. How did you feel about Jack's air relative to John's turn? Um, yeah, the the air reverse yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, I, I did not yeah. see that going. It was excellent. a bit weird, right? Like it was a, a big section and a fairly big air, but it was kind of weird and out of control. Never really looked like. I mean, it was impressive in the sense that he pulled it off, but it it just wasn't one of those airs that you're like, oh my god, that was incredible. Yeah, I just didn't think it was an excellent score. Like, there's multiple scoring opportunities. Uh, on the wave face out there with linking major maneuvers together, which John was doing, and Jack was doing that as well. Um, But I just didn't see it that high. Um, But, I mean, yeah, not the first time you've seen a score like that go down. What I I would say, and and I'd encourage every surfer I've ever worked with, is, is you've got to have a point of difference. Whether it's better or worse doesn't really matter. It's a point of difference. Um, And I almost thought, on that, when I saw Jack trying airs on every single wave after that, I was almost kind of cringing, like, stop doing airs because John's going to see you and you, you might give him the idea yeah. to do that, Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, you've got your eight. You've got your other eight. Only if it's a 10 would you try that. Like, he was doing cheese whizzes on just little shouldery ones and you could see John looking over his shoulder and I was like, oh, no, get on. like Because now if John goes and does that, then there's no point of difference and it's all on the same true. playing field. And so, yeah. What I took away from this whole thing is that basically in order to beat John at Margaret River main break, you need to do an air because that's what we saw with Kayo back in 2016. That was the last person to beat John out there, the last heat he's actually lost until this final. And Griffin almost got him as well. And I mean, that was an incredible heat, but Griffin didn't stand a chance until he hucked a giant one to the flats. Um, so, yeah, basically, that's your only hope if you want to go out there against him. I mean, I guess maybe maybe Ethan Ewing had a chance on the face if he got a really good wave. But still, um, to me, John's turns are just that much more powerful. I would say the thing that Ethan has that I really kind of have figured out over this past two events is his board just seems to sit 
on a sharper angle on the wave when he's doing a carve than anyone. He's not as powerful as John, but I've, I don't know of anybody who gets their board on more of an angle when they're driving through the water than he does. So I would say that John John Florence has been watching Ethan Ewing. Because for the first time ever, I noticed John finishing his calves with his right arm in front of his body rather than trailing it as the layback version. Um, and I sent you a frame grab of one of his calves and it dead set looks like Ethan Ewing. Uh, and to your point, Ethan Ewing, the way he carves is much more forward through the carve, which I think is harder to do because you're more committed to the whole turn. Whereas John is just brute force through the back foot through the whole turn, which is, they're both extremely difficult turns to do. Don't get me wrong. But the way Ethan squares up his upper body and keeps his shoulders forward while twisting through the whole carve with power and speed is just technically so, so difficult. And I, I really, truly believe that he is the only guy that could beat him on the face out there. And I fucking wish he did. I'm just beyond. Thought he was, thought I know. this was the And one. actually, I, Richie Lovett was doing a good job of kind of breaking these things down in the WSL broadcast. And I, I think he has done a great job this year. But he was really showing how John's turns, his shoulders stay basically going down the line as his hips and lower body are going back toward the whitewater. And like you said, I think you do, it, it's a bit more like holding it off, you know, it's like rather than like really firing all the way through and following through. So because of his just ability and strength, and he must have like unhinged hips or something to allow that sort of flexibility, you know, in the way that he gets it, but he obviously makes it happen. But to your point, and I, I think that, you know, a lot of people who look at technique a lot, like a Brad Gerlach, right? He teaches that wave key thing where it's about perfect technique. And he's like, basically, he said, John's the only person that like does things kind of objectively wrong and it still works really well. So he just has that freakish ability that he can make it happen. But yeah, what Ethan does is really, really special. Ethan had a turn um, in the heat against um, Jack Robinson, which it just it didn't look that flash. But if you could import yourself to his board at that point in time, he had this carving maneuver at the end of the wave in which all his speed's going down the line and he's got a massive whitewater section coming towards him but he still turns his shoulders and his hips and his head all the way back to where he came from and then rides out of the wave and it wasn't a massive score well it was but it wasn't like the closeout turn that gets you a massive score or anything I think Jack had a big lip line finish tail drop on the wave before but technically speaking, it is so much harder to turn your head and your hips away from the section that's coming towards you. It takes so much commitment to the turn um, that it just makes me cry myself to sleep at night how good he is. <laughs> well, at least he's finally being rewarded. He's made three semis in the past four events. He's sitting at number four in the world, which I think, you know, for maybe five, probably longer for you, years, everybody's known how high his ability level is. And he just wasn't really being able to show it in these CT events for one reason or another. But this year he is, which is really special. And I mean, God, if you saw him at lowers in the end of the year, you'd have to give that a bit of a think. Like, could Ethan Ewing just somehow walk away with a world title this year? It's not out of the question. It's definitely not out of the question. However, it would need to be um, the chips falling in his, his favor a few ways, which they could. But I think like we said, leading into the event last year, 
you will need to win the world title doing it here. And that was quite Yeah, clear. but Gabby's out this year. So Felipe, I mean, what he was doing on the face. Well, I haven't done it. No one else surfs that good on the world tour, huh? <laughs> I mean, who like Italo's having a bit of a shocker this year. He's technically at number five, but unless he figures something out, I mean, and, and also if you come into that event at number five, it's pretty fucking hard to win. And then, you know, you've obviously got John up there and, you know, he can do airs, but lowers is a bit soft for him, I would almost say, to do like proper big airs. Like even back in that event that he won out there, he was doing airs, but he was like a little stuck to the lip and he was still making him work, but he was kind of forcing him. Whereas, yeah, Gabby's the only one and, and Felipe or Italo, obviously, who are doing like giant, giant airs and Felipe as well. He did that big air on the left one year. So I don't know, though, like if it's the current crop right now, I see it being one on the face. Yeah, I said that last year and it, it definitely didn't work. Uh, I still think Felipe Toledo's like, yeah, he, again, talking about point of difference. If Ethan's beating Felipe on the face then you know what Felipe's going to pull out and it's pretty special. So, yeah, but I definitely think Ethan, um, you know. He he deserves to be there for sure. So I just think we'll see. We'll just have to wait and see. It's uh, it's it's just a venue I think that lends itself to the judges are going to score airs there, whether you like it or not. All right. Well, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. We're already jumping to the last event of the year, and man, I mean, we still got a long way to go. Five more events, and Margaret's was like a pretty, you know, season-defining event in the sense of the cut and everything like that. Now, the one thing that's really interesting is that the women's side of the world tour has been really weird this year for a number of reasons. I mean, you did have most of the veterans make it through, barring Sally Fitzgibbon, so that kind of went the way that, you know, a person might have expected. But, the you know, we haven't had Carissa Moore win an event yet this year. It's probably the longest she's gone at the beginning of a season without winning an event for years. Um, we have Brisa Hennessy, that's moved back up into first place after this event. And just nobody's really taken a stranglehold of it. I mean, even Stephanie's kind of like floundering toward the bottom of that top 10. So, yeah, what did you see from the women in this event? And how do you see that kind of affecting the rest of the season moving forward? I saw Molly Picklem finally surf how she's capable of surfing. And I'm bummed that it took sort of that long to fire up. But I think she finally did a turn that was just scintillating. The, 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 the way she beat Tyler in that heat was just so incredible. I don't think I'd seen a women's turn like it. Just how she sliced through the wave and then really, really sat down on her heels through the back third of the turn. Just unbelievable. In the tightest pocket of the wave. Um... You know, she's not the biggest woman on tour, but she looked like it in that turn. That was that was really cool. And then, obviously, wasn't enough to get the job done. She's cut, so thanks for nothing. And then, how that will affect the rest of the year? Well, um, like, I mean, just, just think about it this way. Of the five women that were surfing at Trestles last year, one of them missed the cut. Three of them are 8, 9, and 10 on the rankings, and only one of them is in the top five. It's it's a real credit to Brisa Hennessy's consistency this year. She she's just like silent assassin yellow jersey. Like I don't think anyone. I mean, I might be looking at the wrong media channels, but no one's really talking her up, and she's just back in the yellow jersey again. Like good on her. So, it, it, and the lead, not the lead, but the, her number 
that she's got amassed already to what the fifth place surfer currently has, there's a lot of daylight there. So she's she's yeah. on fire. And just a note as well. So every surfer dropped their worst event after the first five, and that was how we determined the cut line. But there will be no more events dropped throughout the rest of the season. So surfers will keep nine events in their end-of-year score line. So every event counts from here. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? Is the way that this women's leaderboard looks right now, Brisa, Carissa, Tyler, Isabella, Courtney, Lakey, Gabriella, Joanne, Steph, and then Tati, do you think that stays kind of similar, or is there going to be a big shakeup on the back half of the year? I think there could be a bit of a move from Tatiana. Um, I can't see her getting much worse than a couple of thirds through G-Land and Tahiti, which would have to think that's going to shoot her right up uh, in that top five. Um, but for the other surfers, I, I, I really don't see them happening too much. Like, I think Joanne would do well at those events as well. But, yeah, I... I don't know. Does that mean I see much changing? I only see like one or two people really shining. I mean, Steph's probably got her name on the J-Bay trophy, but then again, I don't know. It's a tr- the, the women's tour Joanne, by the is way, so hard. has had a quarterfinal in every single event this year. She, she was so close to getting knocked off the tour because of that. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like that now, but... If there was one or two heats that went the other way, which it very well could have, there was a few heats decided by the smallest of margins. Um, having four quarterfinals might have not been enough. She needed to get a semi, obviously, to better her result, which she didn't. She lost in the quarters to, I think, Isabella. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy how the women's tour is. Like, That's why it's hard to see too much changing because to, to get a real result that shifts the needle... Uh, it needs to be a final. And you've seen this with Isabella. Again, this is a tip of the hat to Kale Bell Warren. They weren't really talking about it too much on the broadcast. She went from 13th to 4th. That's just next level. And that, that's available for everyone to do that over these next few events. But just chalking up 5ths and 3rds, it, it's really not enough if you want to have a big swing at that final five it needs to yeah, be first and, and but second. usually like we're seeing some you know multiple event winners this year we've had five different event winners one of them was a wild card one of them was tati who in every other event has basically gotten second to last so yeah it's just it's been an unusual year it's it'll be interesting to see how the rest of it plays out definitely i think i think to to that point uh if we shift our attention over to the men's side of the draw and talking about different winners no one would be happier to see Jack Robinson win that event than Gabriel Medina. The more variety in the winners for him, the better chance he is of making the top five. Uh, Ethan Davis did a piece on stabmag.com detailing the points that Gabriel might need, given that, like you mentioned, every event is going to count now for him. But there's been a lot of sort of variety in what fifth place actually gets at the end of different years because we haven't had a full year in a while. Um, but I can recall a year that Ace Bucken got fifth and, and his total wasn't massive. Um, however, the year that Kolohe and Dino got fifth, his total was pretty high. He had a pretty consistently good year. But there's been no multiple event uh, winners in the men, I don't believe. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Mikey. Uh, so it's... It's wide open. He would have been so stoked to see 
um, to see Jack Roberts. Yeah, so, I mean, if Gabby does want to make the top five, he's going to have to come back and win. You'd have to think at least three of the remaining five events and do well in the other two. Um, I think that looking at the cut right now, so there's the fifth place surfer has 18,895 points. That's off four events. So if you were to take the average of that, it's between four and 5,000. And then if you were to multiply that by uh, five, you're looking at basically a cut line that's close to 40,000 points, if not a little bit over. And to get that, you know, it's 10,000 points for a win. So he's going to have to win at least three, like I said, and then maybe get a couple semis or a semi and a quarter. Which he was one of the guests that phoned in. Uh, which we can talk more about that later. However, it was nice to see him on screen and get his insights. And in a roundabout way, he said, it's on. I, I want to make the final five. So it's it's pretty clear what his intention is. So I don't think he's going to be rolling up looking, um, you know, looking to get a couple of quarters. He, he wants to, you know, he did drop the cliche, heat by heat, blah, blah. Yep, of course. But deep down, I think you can tell he's keen yeah, to go away. I mean, away. fuck, that would be probably the most incredible comeback story, at least in surfing, um, if not sport in general, coming in <laughs> with half the year after going through some, you know, tough personal stuff and then getting into the final and then winning the final would be the stuff that reality TV shows are made of. So I'm, I'm betting a lot of people are hoping that that happens. But time will tell. Um, in the meantime, do you have any other major points that you want to talk about at this event, or should we get into some unpopular opinions? Let's get into some unpopular opinions. All right. So my unpopular opinion is that Jordy Smith had the worst barrel dodge that I think has ever happened in all of surfing. At the very least, he barrel dodged the best wave that has ever come through at Margaret River main break. Thoughts? Missed it. Saw the frame grab, and we'll just agree with you on that one. It was a pretty, pretty wide open. It was cabin. a twelve foot roll in. It was literally the best wave that I mean. It was square top to bottom, twelve footer. He would have pulled into it and either stood there tall and not moved an inch and come straight out the end of it, or you know weaved or stalled or whatever he wanted to do. And you could have thrown a fucking party in that thing. And otherwise, he, he goes around it and does this carve that i you know i guess it's a big wave but the carve itself felt like he was just holding on and basically still got a seven for just that turn when the wave itself offered a 15 which yeah i don't know it was it's hard for me to watch as a surfer and it i hate to like you know put lump too much onto this or like psychoanalyze but i just feel like there's a difference between a surfer that sees that that's happening and a surfer that doesn't and i feel like a john a kelly a jack Gabriel, like they all see that. And the fact that Jordy doesn't see that is troublesome. Like it just, yeah, it makes me think that he doesn't quite have that eye. And I don't know how far you can go without it. Yeah, I I, I know exactly what you mean. It's sort of one of those things where as a surfer, you just pull (laughs) in, don't you? And it's it's like he's like trying to just compete. Like, you know what I mean? He's, it's like he's stripped away that entire aspect of it. And like in his mind, he's just a competitor and he's not out there surfing when in reality, what a judge wants to see at the end of the day is somebody that's just out there surfing. And that to me, yeah, it just, it kind of broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not going to harp on about it too much because I did surf out Margs one afternoon with Geordie when it was about half that size and I was absolutely fucking shitting my pants. Um, so I would have, 
not only dodged the barrel, I probably would have just bailed my board and dove down as far as I could to the bottom of the ocean when that thing come through. Um, but then again, I don't get paid six figures to pack those things. So yeah, I guess yeah. we'll just leave All it right, at that. Fair enough. Anything from you, an unpopular opinion from this event? Yeah, I'll, I'll just bow tight from before. John John Florence has just adapted his technique just slightly uh, to add some variety to his carbs, and I believe he's modelled that off Ethan, Ethan Ewing, which I think a lot of people would be get their pitchforks out and say that, no, 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 it's happened the other way, but I'm going to stand my ground and no, no, no. Ethan carves right arm in front of body always. John right arm usually falls back, like Gerlach and Richie Lubbock were mentioning. But John, this event had a couple of rippers and it was when he brought that right arm all the way through and i think it looks better too so got it john so you weren't at this event you weren't coaching did you uh did you have a go on the punt did you put any money on the line i don't know what i'm allowed to say but i fucking did and i suck (laughs) man why do i suck so bad (laughs) oh Nothing crazy. A couple of $10 hits here and there. But it, it's the first time I've done it in ages. And it was a reminder as to why I just steer clear from it. Because oh, it makes me a bad person. I'm watching this <laughs> shit going, fucking what? So, yeah, that's me done. Um, I actually think I still got money in the kitty. I didn't even burn through it all. Um, I didn't even like bet on the final or anything. Just because I just was just over it. And I like what you said online. That round of 16, there was... Oh, so many shitty matchups for value and betting. And I'm always going to go the underdog. I want to get some skitzy payout. So, yeah. Um, I don't understand these crew who throw on, like, you can't do it yet. But here we have these massive long multis. And John Florence is paying, like, a dollar thirteen. Like, why? It doesn't add any value to your bet. Why? why <laughs> yeah, well, as our listeners know, we are sponsored this year by betonline.ag. So, I've been betting at uh, most of the events, and I definitely had a lot of money on the line this event. Um, Unfortunately, most of that money was on John to win the thing. I put $200 on him to win at odds of plus 350, which means that I would have won 700. Uh, And I was feeling really, really good about that up until about the five-minute mark in the final when Jack took the lead and John just couldn't seem to figure it out. So fortunately, I did have a bit of money on Jack to win the final as well. I think I had 25 bucks on him to win at uh, plus 1,000 odds. So I ended up making 250 on that. But overall, in the event, I didn't fare that well. I came out on top, but only by, I think, like $136. If you were following along in Chris Bin's event wraps, you were kind of seeing who I was betting on, where I was winning and losing. Uh, it wasn't my best event of the year, but at least we came out on top. So, yeah, if you want any more tips on betting, you can always find them on our site. And we'll definitely be looking to bet at Snapper if that's a, a thing. I think that Bet Online AG is going to be doing that. But I do want to give a shout-out to one of our Stab Cusp listeners who had a much better week than both Stace and I. He put a $10 bet on a nine-person multi for the first round of the Margaret River Pro. And he picked all of them right, and the payout was over $20,000, which is mind-melting. So I don't want to say his name in case the feds are listening to this, but congratulations to our friend, and I hope that you and your family have a lovely retreat in the Maldives. You deserve it. You, you want to know what's even better? What's it's that? The same, per- the same person is currently in line to get a 6.2 LSD hammer from our joyride. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you can say that because people can uh, people can connect some dots there. 
Well, you haven't posted it yet, so you know, you might we might just have to blur out his face and put on a fake name. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, cool. Well, production has been slow on the Gold Coast, so I have apologised to um, Mr. X in advance. But yeah, it it is coming. I assure you. Yeah. So that. the dream the dream is alive and well, and I hope one day I will I'll hit the big one like Mr. X. Oh, and then yeah, on the side, I actually had a little side bet with uh, my coworker Aaron, who fucking rinsed me for thirty dollars against Nat Young or Nat Young versus Felipe. I took Felipe. I gave him three to one odds and he fucking got me point zero three. So that was a tough one to lose. But uh good on you, Aaron. So you're a fucking bookie now, Mike. You're giving out three to one odds on fucking Nat Young. That is next level, dude. You've lost a plot. <laughs> I know. Well it was pretty much the same odds that betonline.ag had for that heat so i thought yeah that seems fair enough and i just i i thought felipe was gonna win but then nat went out and did his nat thing that he finds that magic every every once in a while where you're like oh my god now i remember why this guy's like on tour like he really when he's surfing well he really is surfing well it's just there's a lot of in between i would say but man yeah he fucking you know that he was close and i know a lot of people think that felipe won and maybe maybe not but it, it wasn't yeah i i i'm i'm with you i had a side bet um with the mate that philippe would go further than john and that didn't happen so yeah i also owe him i think i was cheeky and he said 20 and then i said well fuck you let's go double or nothing so i think i ended up losing 50 um i know that 50 is not double 20 but who the fuck makes a 40 dollar bet you have been stationed on the Gold Coast where it has been apparently pumping for like six months straight, but more importantly, this past week, it's been firing and you've been seeing, what, 50 to 1,000 of the world's second best surfers out at your home break every day. There's a big CS event coming up. There is a big CS event coming up. Um, I'm pumped. I've been blessed to have a world tour event in my front yard ever since I was just a wee lad. And it's the sickest thing ever as a surf fan. You get to see it, you know, in in real life, and it is it's a different thing to watching it on the webcast. So I'm grateful that the the tour has come back here. And in a way, Snapper to me, it's a better four person wave. So I'm stoked to see a couple of four person heats out there. Um, I think in when the previous years when the World Tour comes to town, all of us locals we we watch the waves that the pros let go, and we're just going oh my god like you would ride that wave every day of the week if you're out there free surfing obviously because there's a million people out there um but with four people in the lineup the forecast is looking amazing for the comp like I, it's not going to be firing behind the rock it's just going to be super rippable as fun as you can get snapper maybe the odd barrel here and there um but can't wait and you know what i'm stoked everyone in town has just gotten one of the best swells we've had there's been a few calls going down. It's the best swell since three degrees. So um, a couple of the Hawaiians, much like Andy Irons used to back in the day, got a great read on the sandbar, and they, they picked off a couple of absolute bangers, uh, Brody Sale and Kanehe Hunt. Excuse me if I got that wrong. Got like 200-meter-long tubes. It's just mind-melting. So, yeah, stoked for them. It's good to see Beautiful. everyone with a smile well, on their face. Yeah, you've been obviously watching for the past week or so. Um, I've only seen what's on Instagram. So, to me, I saw Mateus Hurdy doing things that I didn't really comprehend on, like, one-foot waves. 
And I've also been watching, you know, a bit of an underdog, I would say, but Al Cleland Jr., he was on our Stab Innocence trip a few years back, uh, Mexican-born, and he's got a bit of a hammer on him. He's, he's a, you know, he's a bigger kid, and he fucking turns. So have you been, who, who's been looking good to you, I guess, is the better question. It's really hard to tell with the crowd. It, 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 you just can't surf the wave how you want to surf it. So I, I'm going into this comp pretty blind. Um, Michael Dumphy and uh, EG, Evan Gilesman, have been staying with Cruzy. So we've kind of been dragging them up and down the coast just to try boards and get some different waves under their feet and, and more just get a few reps because it's one of those things. As, as good as the wave is, getting barreled for 200 metres, you don't really learn a whole lot other than get a smile on your dial, which the boys did. They got out there a couple of avos ago. But I haven't really been posting up at Snapper and watching all day. Um, but I, I have seen glimpses of Matthias Hurdy and look, he's really going to need to settle it down, if you ask me. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it, I can't believe I'm really saying this, but Snap is a wave where you can kind of J-bay in a way. You get to the end of it and you're like, where was the turn? And not every section out there, not every day, not every tide, particularly high tide snapper, is not going to really offer you those aerial sections. So I think a few of the flyboys are going to get caught out with that, is is my uh, unpopular opinion for the week on that one. But um, I am excited to see it, yeah, with no crowd. Because it's nothing worse than seeing a surfer rip through a carve and have to pull it short because they're going to cut off some six-year-old's head. So um, it's... Um, going to be cool to see once the comp actually so, starts. Yeah, and the other cool thing is that this event is going to have some huge names in it. It's got Kelly Slater, Steph Gilmore, Ethan Ewing, and yeah, it's just going to be really fun to watch, I think. It looks like the waves are going to be fun, so I'm definitely going to be tuning in. Hopefully there are some bets to be made on betonline.ag, and if not, we'll enjoy it anyways. So, Stacy, I think that is uh, it, unless you got anything else for me. No, no, that's about it. We've had a really good, fun uh, run of waves, uh, which is just seems to be never-ending, and it won't stop. The comp's going to be fun, um, and I think it's a great time of year to have this event. Uh, you are not going to get a cyclone swell, which means we won't be getting barreled at Kira, but there's just like what we're going to see in the forecast, just these consistent little east-southeast swells just trickling around the corner there from D-Bar, coming around into the snapper, and it's going to be, yeah, it should be a really, really fun week. Um, and, yeah, like you said, a couple of massive names. A few of those massive names got a warm-up last week up at Burley. There was a, a regional event there that uh, Matthias Hurdy and Rio Waida did. And uh, they got to sink their teeth into some amazing canvases at Burley. So, yeah, it's going to be a, Do you a want good to pick week a coming up. for us, or are you too close to it? I think it's just too hard to say. There's 96 men and 64 women. Uh, I'm just excited to see, yeah, like I said, four-person heats out snapper. I think it's the, the, it's just, that wave is custom built for that. It's it's perfect for four yeah, people. Yeah, well, okay, my picks are going to be really boring, but I'm going to go with Ethan, who just deserves one, and Steph, who's not having her best year, but will probably be really happy to be home in some fun waves. I like it. Let's see how, let's see how we go. All right. Thank you, Stacy. That was a lovely chat. Now, Margaret River, like I said, it was the big news of the week, but there's some other things that happened too. So we're about to hop on to the drop with Buck, who is Stab's editor-in-chief, and he's going to tell us about all the biggest stories from this week. So let's jump right in. 
Hello, Michael. Buckley, you seem surprisingly chipper. What, what's so surprising about this to you, Michael? You, uh, you have some information you want to share? <laughs> well, you were um, lamenting a, a dear loss in, in our betting group chat. So, yeah, I just thought that you'd be maybe a little bit more downtrodden. <sighs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. I had a tough time betting in WA. I mean, it, it's a really bad time zone for me. Uh, G Land's gonna be the same, to be honest. But like, it's it's hard to watch it, and like, especially, I noticed such a difference in the WSL broadcast. You know, you can watch it all day. I feel like you almost evolve with it. Um, when you wake up in the morning and start watching it, you could already see that people are faded. Everybody's making mistakes. It's a long day. Everybody's just tired and kind of over it. And yeah, it's just kind of hard to to watch and. Yes, to gamble on things when you're uh, can't watch much of it, other than a few heats in the end of the day. I would agree. Like there, like a lot of people want me to post my picks for the next round, like the day before, or even just like you know the morning before the event starts or whatever. And it's like I I'll do it sometimes because I feel like I owe that to the readers. But I feel like I bet so much better when I get to watch a heat or two and really understand what's going on with the conditions and and who might thrive. And you sometimes even like hear little things in the webcast that help you out, you know, about somebody in a future heat that obviously this is an extreme example, but Chloe with the stomach bug yesterday. Like, I don't know if people who bet on John John, I don't know if that bet just gets canceled or if you actually would have won money on that or whatever. But yeah, there's just, you definitely have an advantage if you're sitting there watching it. Do you ever, um, do you ever think that there's like a butterfly effect? Because I stayed up till four last night um, or yesterday morning watching the final because I had so much money on John to win and I just I wanted it to happen I wanted to see it happen I wanted to have that moment of elation and of course he didn't win and now all I'm thinking is fuck I should if I just gone to sleep he would have won 100 percent. I mean if if I if I'm in camp John I'm blaming you as a gambler it is win or lose <laughs> it all ties down to like what shoes you wore that day if you touched a certain thing if you where you sat is important like you cannot if you sat somewhere and you lost, you can't sit there again while you're betting. It's it it. It's, so yeah, it's your fault, really. Um, Fuck. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, but this it, it was hard for me. It was hard for me. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a mangled man after this event. Do you want to tell us how much you lost in Rupia? And we're going to Gland next. <laughs> Thousands, <laughs> hundreds of thousands. <laughs> You know, the biggest one that got me, I I had a lot of faith in Bronte. Like, I saw her and I always love, I just, the, the worst thing I do with gambling is I always, I the underdogs always entice me. I like them. I like them. I like a good dog. You know, anytime I see that plus, I'm like, yeah. I never want to bet on something where you have to, you know, risk more than you could potentially gain. I hate that. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, and when you see Bronte like that going in the semis, you're like, okay, okay, we're on. And so I went. That was the hardest surf bet I had this year was her to beat Isabella Nichols in the semis. And um, you don't have to know too much to know that Isabella won the entire event. So you know the outcome there. And uh, yeah, that was the hardest I went all year. And I don't regret it. And I'm happy for Isabella. So it's uh you know a couple hundred thou rupiah <laughs> down the drain but on to the next well, it's, one it's nice too that you went with the feel-good local story that's beautiful but unfortunately that doesn't always pay um but 
you know, we had a lot of things happen. Obviously, Stace and I just talked about everything in the event, but there's one thing we didn't exactly get into. So this is probably the biggest news of the week beyond everything involving the cut and the winners of this event. So do you want to just jump straight into it? What incident was the WSL talking about on the Margaret River broadcast? This is an interesting clip. Um, so basically free surf before what was it the it wasn't the final day it wasn't the day before the final day it must have been that busy day where they you know they were off for a while and then really started trim things down we got a clip of john john florence pretty much kicking his board at jacob wilcox in the free surf um (laughs) is everyone just john john florence now i'm doing the kaipo thing Enjoy it. Soak it up. John John Flores is your champ. So John John, John John kicked his board at Jacob Wilcox. It was it was wild. It was a wild clip. But John John kicks his board at a music Lau. Sorry. But yeah, so we have this clip of uh, the morning free surf, and those things are so interesting. By the way, like those things are so. I've never really understood the mindset of I'm going to go surf a CT venue when there's an hour left before they're going to call the event on and try to get some waves. I just do not understand the everyday surfer who decides to paddle out and put themselves in that position. And like, I feel like it's, I think it got really testy at lowers this year when leading up to the final, like when, when there's people that need to compete at this and they're trying to get their warm up laps in, there's also people that are out there trying to have fun it's always a weird vibe, and Ricky Schaefer with the mid-year cut, slamming back oh, yeah. hangers six a.m. Just <laughs> belting them, calling Joanne DeFay off. She's just swearing in French. Putain. Um, yeah, I've never really understood that, but it looked, yeah, probably a decent amount of people out and. There was a wave where uh, Zeke Lau and Jacob Wilcox found themselves on together, and Zeke Lau happened to do one of those exits where you kind of kick your board, which is innocent enough and sometimes really effective, uh, but not so much when there's somebody riding right in front of you. And so it was one of those things where the clip is just so... It's jarring, and you can't really tell with that angle. You need more angles to see how close it really came to Jacob's head, but it did kind of look like Zeke kicked his board at his at Jacob Wilcox's head no contact of course no contest no contact uh that's what we do here but not a good clip and this thing went crazy it went wild yeah it went huge in our Instagram and because we did the due diligence of reaching out to Jacob and Zeke and getting their sides of the story we ended up putting it behind the paywall on Stab Premium and it ended up being our biggest converting article of the month and by that I mean that if somebody who doesn't have a subscription tries to get into that, they basically get sent to a paywall and you either you know make that transaction or you don't. And this one got the most transactions of any written story this month, which is crazy. People love drama. Um, we saw the same thing happen with that Magno Pacheco uh, thing that happened a month or two ago. So yeah, board flinging is a huge source of interest apparently in the surf world. But I will say that it is a bit different. Like Zeke Lau is 
slightly better surfer than Magno Pacheco, and I dare say if he wanted to hit Jacob, he he would have hit Jacob. <laughs> so I think that it was just kind of a... That might have been a challenge in the Ultimate Surfer. That would have made a better show. <laughs> Shoot your board somebody he said, see who gets the... I mean, that would I would have watched yeah. that. <laughs> would have cared more than the barrel challenge. So it was an act of frustration on Zeke's part, for sure. Um, and it's funny, too, because the clips started off so innocently. Like It looked like they were just having fun doing crossovers. It was one of the better crossover waves I've ever seen. Like The two surfers looked absolutely like in tune. They were doing good turns, and it just looked like fun. And then, yeah, I guess Zeke just, you know, he's he's facing that cut line. And here's a wild card who, according to Zeke, snaked him. You know, obviously there's so many layers to that that we don't even really need to get into it. But apparently, you know, Jacob or Zeke had done that to Jacob in Hawaii a thousand times. So they have this history. And then the funniest part, I thought, was that Zeke said, I don't even know who this kid is, <laughs> which is just like the most big dick like (laughs) you know what i mean like i'm so above this but but yeah in the end it didn't look great on zeke i don't think that there were any fines or anything from the wsl we checked with them on multiple occasions and they told us that they were aware of it but it doesn't seem like anything really came of it and at the end of course zeke did not end up making the mid-year cut so yeah he's uh probably not in the best headspace at the moment but again really interesting moment i do have to say that i hate the word snake I hate snake as a verb. I mean, I don't really like them as a noun either. Like, if a snake was in the air, I wouldn't be thrilled. But snake as a verb in surfing is just, I hate it. It's one of those words, it's like shred, that just makes me kind of cringe. You feel that way? Well, what would you call it? Back paddling? I guess so. I mean, I just, I, I, I feel like it's, you know, you could use snake as, like, somebody dropped in on you. Like, you snaked my thing. I, I guess just, like paddled around but that's because so we grew both grew up in new jersey and that's how people used to use snake around here but i think in the rest of the world snake is very specific and it means that you weaseled your way inside of someone when it clearly wasn't your turn and you went behind them so the snake is actually behind the rider who in the at least in their mind should have priority for that wave versus burning someone is taking yes, off this is a doggy style situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um yeah, if you have a better term for this type of behavior, I'm all ears. Well, it's hard because, like, I, I don't know. I feel like every lineup has different kind of dynamics. And it's like if you go on a pretty shit wave, but you come in, it, it, you're the top dog there, you can kind of get back into a prime spot. Like, I feel like there's no real, I don't know. It's We all know that surfing isn't like a perfect little rotation system in and out and just not in the word snake. But let's not get hung up there. I one thing I will say. But if you think about think about the term snake, though, it actually kind of makes sense, right? Like you're kind of like wrapping around, like looping around someone. Yeah, like slithering and like kind of like, oh, I was here, but I'm also there at the same time. Uh, yeah, I think it kind of works. I guess so. Just I just don't like it. I don't like it. It's one of those things. Like I think I've heard that it's for some reason, no matter what culture somebody grew up in if they're shown a picture of a snake like they kind of react negatively um humans maybe you're just fear snakes in a way and i don't know when i hear the word out loud i still just don't like it i don't like it at all and so anytime i see it's like that i just have a bad reaction to it so snake not into it let's find a better word we'll work on that but one thing i will say is that zeke gets a lot of heat like 
he had that moment with John John at Bell's where he was took uh, sitting on top of somebody to a new level, I guess, and they had to make a rule because of it. And I feel like for the longest time, people complain about there not being much personality in our sport. And I feel like he brings it. You know, this isn't a great example, I'll be honest. Even if it wasn't that close to his head from a different angle, it just doesn't look good, doesn't look, you know, like something you should do. But I do like that Zeke brings like this this different energy to the sport. You know, people complain about all the post heats being so boring and, and all this and Zeke, uh, he's not that, you know, he, he gets rules made because of how he acts and he definitely brings a different vibe. I mean, he comes from Hawaii. His dad was, his dad is a football coach at a pretty tough school. And like, I like that he brings that energy and that character to surfing. And this wasn't a great look, but, uh, Hey, I mean, maybe Magno will climb up on the challenger series and, and there will be some beach breaks there, so they can go left, right at each other, and they could shoot the boards at each other, and it could be like the craziest uh, moment ever for surfing. So let's just bank on that. Huge conversions on Stab Premium. <laughs> just see the dollar Massive. signs. <laughs> oh, it'd be absurd. Imagine, imagine. <laughs> you know, Huntington Beach this year, crowd full of people. They just shoot their boards at each other. That's oh what well, we need. I think that segues nicely into our next story. Surfline camera captures moment a coyote savagely attacks a toddler on Huntington Beach. The headline kind of <laughs> says it all. Um, Sorry, it's hard. Not so <laughs> there's a Surfline camera that it it films Huntington Beach, and it turns out that a toddler got savagely attacked by a coyote. Do you say coyote or coyote? I say coyote. I'm not a Native American. Okay, coyote. Neither am I. Nathan Fletcher, coyote. But coyote savagely attacks a toddler on Huntington Beach. So this clip is wild. This this headline is wild, and this clip is wild. And the details are: this happened last Thursday, and I guess it helped to actually, you know, fuel the investigation in the incident. But there was a two to three year old girl that got attacked by a toddler just right there in Hyndon. Uh And the best way to prove that it happened was because the Surfline cam was pointing that direction. They captured the footage. Yeah, well, if we're talking about justice being brought, I think that these parents should have been the ones that were euthanized. <laughs> Did you see the mom's reaction to this whole thing? Oh, my God. Well, that's, I wanted to make that point. I lived in, like, France. Surfline doesn't work. I mean, they present a forecast, but it's laughable to even think you might check it. And the cams are shit. There's no reason to check Surfline at all in France. Portugal, they actually have some good cams. And all of a sudden, I've been like, whoa, Cam Rewind is this thing. You could actually, like, if you get a good wave, you could see it. Cam Rewind reveals the worst about a person. You get a good wave. (laughs) You think you surfed it pretty well. You look back at it, and you're just horrified. And so now what these parents are dealing with is this Cam Rewind effect where... They're looking back at this awful moment in their lives where they they think that they were probably doing one thing and something. They're getting every time I look at myself on Surfline Cam Rewind, I see my toddler getting savagely attacked by a coyote. <laughs> Do you feel that way? Have you? Am I wrong? No, no, you're not wrong at all. Yeah, no, it's absolutely horrible. Because not only is it like it's one thing to 
suck in HD, but when you suck in 240 pixels, you know you really suck because like there's not even much to see and you're still oh. sucking. Oh, and they sucked, and I, I mean, it's its just brutal. Some of the angles just don't favor it well. Like, I feel like a lot of people listen to this and have that experience. I think they really belted one, and they look at it in the camera rewind, and it's just, it's a, it makes you more upset. It just ruins it. And so, I got to say that. And I also have to say, we launched Stab Premium on December 14th, 2020. So, it's been a good while, and... I just gotta say here that after this happened, they killed two coyotes looking for the one that ate the toddler. <laughs> they shot and killed two, and then it turns out they shot another and it ran away. And they think that was the one that did it. And so since well, December, they said it, they said it so like um, just assertively and adamantly that like, oh yeah, they killed those two, but those were not the actual suspects. <laughs> like they knew, they somehow knew for certain that those were not the right ones. And then, yeah, they shot the, the quote unquote right one and it scurried off, which I don't know. The whole thing is so hilarious to me. And I'm sorry the the kid ended up in the hospital. She's fine from what I understand. Um, but yeah, two coyotes are not. Well, what I want to say is that since December 14th, 2020, we've killed zero coyotes at stab. <laughs> Surfline, they're killing two a week. And so if you like animals and you want to support surf media, go subscribe to Stab Premium. Sponsored by PETA. The unlikely genesis of make or break. So, Mikey. I thought you were going to say the unlikely genocide of coyotes. Of coyotes in Huntington Beach. (laughs) It is very (laughs) unlikely, but happening surfline shout out that's you're funding coyote genocide if you subscribe surfline make or break okay mikey so imagine you're the wsl you're dirk ziff you got a guy you want a new ceo you got this guy eric logan he comes from oprah he starts telling you about all these narratives all these stories he's gonna you know make this studio and create all this engaging content and all this this whole thing song and dance Next thing you know, a few years later, this show comes out on Apple TV Plus called Make or Break. You'd probably think, oh, the Oprah guy did that. No, 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 my friend. Make or Break, absolutely not the WSL's idea. And where this actually came from is fucking fascinating. Actually fascinating. I read this and I was like, that can't actually be true. It's insane. It's insane. So... One of the founders of Box to Box, this guy Paul Martin, goes on a vacation to Barbados. And Drive to Survive is already out. It's already this show that, you know, is going crazy on Netflix. And he happens to have a lesson with this guy named Alan Burke, who's the father of a few really good surfers. Josh Burke fucking rips. But he was a pro surfer himself for a while. And he's friends with Kelly, he's from that generation, but he ends up taking a surf lesson with Alan Burke, and Alan, like, they text after the lesson, or his kids maybe took the lesson, but they're texting after the lesson, and Alan tells them, hey, you should maybe do this for surfing. And I would imagine if you did Drive to Survive, anybody that you met would tell you that you should do that to whatever it is they're interested in, in any conversation that you have, that that you bring up what you did, right? Like, 
is that not what he the same exact conversation he would have a million times but somehow he believes this surf instructor and from there they start looking into surfing thinking it's interesting and reach out the wsl and wsl is obviously into it and it's a it's a i really did not expect that i mean the the title says it the unlikely genesis but it's um i really thought it was a wsl's idea well to be fair eric Lozen, logan was busy with his masterpiece the ultimate surfer so we can't fault him too much i mean he he was basically michelangelo over there just chipping away at beauty oh my god and there's a part in that story where that comes up too like um we've kind of talked about it but the we talked about it the last episode but the the beauty of make or break is the access that they got and the way that they got the surface to open up. And it sounded like there's a point right after the ultimate surfer dropped where especially, especially Gabriel got a little bit weird with it. Like he, maybe people were seeing what happened there and thought, Oh, are you just going to do something like this again? Cause, uh, not that keen. And so that to me is one of the more interesting bits of the story too, because yeah, it seemed like it almost uh, it almost dried up this little reservoir of access that made Make or Break so good, and uh, that that got me. That got me. So Eric Logan not only didn't come up with this concept for you know pitching the Make or Break thing, but he also almost ruined it. Yeah, I mean, if you read the story, <laughs> that's kind of what you get out of it, right? <laughs> well, I think it's beautiful um, that this random British man was so intrigued by surfing and by surfing with Alan Burke in particular that he wanted to come do this. Cause like you said, I'm sure he gets these pitches all the time. And I was talking about it with my wife. I think you could apply this formula if you have, you know, the right storytellers in place to any sport and make it interesting. Like, I don't know about you, but I find curling just like fascinating from afar. I don't know anything about it. I don't even know. I was telling my friend the other day, I don't even know if the sweeping is supposed to make it go faster or slower. And I don't even, I don't really need to know or want to know. It's just like, that is how far removed I am from any sort of knowledge base in curling. But I bet that, that the, the behind the scenes of that would be fascinating. I'm sure it would be. I mean, everybody's got a crazy story. We just kind of came screaming out of vaginas and ended up on a planet. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, I think everybody has something interesting about their lives and some struggle that they faced. If not, you kind of make one up and face that anyway. Right. Yep. But, um, wow. That was deep. Yeah. What do you think of make or break? I loved it. I thought it was so good. Yeah. Last time we talked, I was, we, it was a weird conversation because I'd seen it. You hadn't what's, uh, have you finished it? I did. Yeah. I finished it pretty quickly. Um, my my wife loved it as well. She was basically the one pushing us to like binge it. So we binged it and yeah, I absolutely loved it. I don't even like, I mean, there's so many like little moments that I thought were awesome. Like my favorite moment from the entire thing actually was I think in the Rookies episode when they were playing Bananagrams and uh, Liam O'Brien has a guest appearance. That was just the most fucking hilarious thing I've ever seen. Just showing his genius in the most incredible Rain Man-esque way. What's Quark? Quark? It's like a subatomic party. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, the whole thing was amazing. The insights that you got to see and, you know, from Gabby and Felipe and all these different people. I mean, I'm so excited already for next season because like we talked about before, like we already know Kelly and the Pipe Masters was followed extensively. And in a sort of sadistic way, 
I, I don't know what's going to happen because Gabby and his wife were so much at the forefront of this entire show. And we actually thought that, you know, maybe she did this to herself or maybe it was partly in how they edited it, but she kind of did come across as like this a little bit, you know, nefarious uh, figure in some way. And of course, now knowing what we know about their situation, like, you know, Gabby is going through a divorce. Apparently, there's a lot of like disputes and legal situations around money. What is she owed, you know, for the time that she spent with him and, you know, helping him, quote unquote, win that world title. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. And I'm just fascinated to see how that comes together in the second season. Yeah, yeah, that'll be wild. Like, how do they, I wonder how much they'll carry over, you know? I wonder how much they'll assume that somebody watched that season one is going to go straight into season two and and get back into that because that was kind of like you said it's such a it's a big part of the first season so we'll see we actually we had a i had an angsty music critic from austin texas review the series for us he's he's never touched a surfboard and so we did this for the wsl finals last year because that was supposed to be another thing that like could potentially hold the interest of a non-surfing audience and that was pretty fun so we're bringing that back and this time yeah angsty kind of music critic from austin who to be honest sounds like apple's pretty much target demographic um 22 year old music critic in austin but uh i've read it already i don't think you have yet it's gonna be good it is good <laughs> i've read it but um it's interesting. He, it was, it was fun. I think he, he kind of had a similar takeaway to you in that, like, it's even knowing little about the world, he was fascinated by the personalities in it. He already, you know, he had a, felt an emotional connection to them, but he has some really funny critical feedback as well, which is a, always fun to read. Ooh. All right. We'll talk about that next week then. Yeah. We'll get into that next week. And one more thing on the, on this one, so I included a photo of Alan Burke in the story. And if you look on his Instagram, you know, he runs a surf school in Barbados. And he's one of those people that is just clearly hiding from the sun at all times. And I think most people listening to this podcast know how to surf quite well. They're not dealing with surf lessons. But rule of thumb for anybody that may be, if you're in somewhere tropical you want somebody that looks like they're in like a Saharan nomadic tribe teaching you how to surf because that means they're experienced. That means they've spent years, <laughs> maybe decades, likely decades, hiding from the sun. And Alan Burke is that. And so the fact like and in all of his photos, he's kind of like he's got the hooded rash guard John's on situation with maybe some water sunnies. And he just is like, yeah, he just you can't see any skin on the guy, basically. And uh you're looking for a surf lesson. That's how you know you're in the right spot. So word of advice for everybody. Okay. Drive through episode nine, the grand finale. Uh, you would not want a surf lesson from Donovan Frankenrider. I could tell you that he he's showing a lot of skin by the end. So nine episodes. Wow. It was it was a wild ride, and I feel like by the end, like the there's a van that they've rented in Florida that's breaking down. Donovan's wetsuit is just in absolute tatters. You could feel I feel like um, it's got to be something just psychological about it. But I feel like any trip 
has its kind of phases. And towards the end, no matter if it's three months or three days, there's always just like, you know, it's almost over and you could just sense this energy of everybody almost getting ready to step back into their normal lives. I sense that in drive through up nine and it's clear there's just vans breaking down. There's Donovan looking like he's in tatters. And I think that makes it my favorite episode because they also get on the stage at Pennywise and make sounds like Bruce Springsteen and they um, go nuts in Waco. It's a great app. Grand finale. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a good time, but like you said, it definitely looks like they're ready to get the fuck out of there. Even in like the, um, the, <laughs> the parting interviews, it's pretty funny. You can see their, their energy waning. Cause I think they expended it all <laughs> on stage and then, and then just going over to Texas. I think they spent four hours in the pool. Um, that was actually pretty cool seeing Griffin going there with an idea in mind about wanting to get um, a new trick kind of locked down. And he ended up not only getting it, but then he nailed it five times in a row, which totally separate conversation from the drive through but just pretty wild to see. You know, we've seen it before, but still the impact wave pools has on progression in surfing is not to be discounted. Plus, I feel like a lot of the stuff you see from Waco is like, it's such a highlight reel. People go there and they get their windows and they, you know, they get hundreds of chances at what they want to try and you're going to get to see 15, 20 of them. Seeing Griffin with like, not all that many, given they had one session at night and seeing him stick five big old backside rotors in a row was pretty wild. Like, I, I just feel like that's not the type of thing that you normally get to see from that. In no other situation does somebody go there and you get to see that, like, this is what really happened element of it. You just get to see the highlights. Um, and I was blown away by that. I mean, he is like, we've got a film on him coming too, on Sad Premium, him and Crosby. And I watched an early version of that today. I didn't, like, you know how good he is, but at the same time, holy shit. Like, it's kind of stop you in your tracks good. That film is unfucking believable Like, I went into it thinking, you know, I see so much of Griffin and Crosby surfing throughout the year. I know it's going to be good, but I don't think it's going to be something that I feel anything about. And I left that being like, what the fuck? Like, that was some of the best surfing that I've seen in a really, really long time. Well, I think, you know, they have their whole, they have a YouTube channel. They're really good at social media. I think at least I was operating on the impression that they just put, okay, really good clip, boom, straight out there. It seems like they, I mean, they've been holding on to stuff and holy shit. It is, I, I could not believe some of the clips in there, especially at lowers. And I don't know how you like hide clips from lowers, but I hadn't seen a lot of the footage from lowers there before, and I was like, I was blown away. If Griffin gets in that top five, or if Crosby gets on a tour and gets in the top five in the next few years, holy shit. Yeah, it's going to be trouble. Um, so keep an eye out for that. That'll be dropping sometime soon, and we'll let you know on the pod when that actually happens. Okay, folks. It is time for a surfsin. It's time to go home with a surfsin. We're going to close it out with surfsin today. We have got Stefan. Stefan, I believe. He didn't say his name, the thing, but that's what his email says, Stefan. 
and he has got us in from the recently reopened Bukit Peninsula. Let's hear it. G'day, Stab. Uh, got a surf in here for ya. I think you might enjoy it. Um, I'm a young Aussie from Western Australia. Um, it's my first time going to Bali um, with a mate. And got to the top of the cliffs at Uluwatu looking out, just incredible, like three to five foot day, just perfect trade winds. Um, ended up renting a board for about 20 bucks for an hour, I think it was. Um, and anyway, got out there. A lot of locals out this day, and you know the local culture out there, you know, if you snake a local, you sort of, your session's over, you know, you're getting sent to the beach. But this day in particular, there was a lot of like 30 to 40-year-old 40 40 year like Aussies out there as well. And not like the good sort of Aussies. I'm talking like the bra boys, like Maruba Beach, like real scary looking ones. Anyway, I took off on this left and um, went down the face, looked to my right and there was a guy taking off as well, but he was super deep. He was never making it. And um, sort of did a cut back, um, another little pump turn. And this, this guy's just caught up to me. And I was like, no way you've caught up to me. And I sort of thought, well, you know, this is, this is my wave now. I'm like, you've just rode the whitewater all this time. I'm, I'm just going to finish this off myself. And anyway, we both sort of jumped off the wave at the same time as it fizzled out. And I look at this bloke and he is all of like 110 kilograms of muscle, like tattoos all over him. Real scary. I'm just, I'm like 19 at the time. And he proceeds to go in on me for like two minutes, just real, like, not just like, oi, what are you doing, you fuckwit? More like, oi, you dog cunt, like, you know, real scary. And I just decided my safest bet was just to not speak the English language and just not understand it. Um, So I just pretended I was a Spanish traveller for about two minutes and just couldn't understand what he was saying. Um, Just, sorry, you know English, Yeah. And that's, that's sort of what I did. And then as soon as that finished and he was paddling back out, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm paddling back in. I'm done. So that's my surf sin. Um, yeah, excited to hear my penance. Oh, man. Mikey, I want you to rip straight in because this is, this is personal for me. Yeah, it's actually personal for me as well. I'm pretty deeply offended. Um, but before we get into that, uh, how do you feel about his assertion that if you've been on you know, the real part of the wave for a certain amount of time that it's now yours. Like if somebody's in the white water behind you kind of floundering, maybe petting the kitty a little bit, trying to get back out in front. Meanwhile, you've done like two or three turns. Do you own that wave now? I think if you've completed a turn, you own the wave. If somebody is like just trying to get by in the white water and you've completed a a turn, as long as it's a decent turn, a little bit of commitment, you know, don't do it out in the flats, get steep, get into it. Uh, your wave okay so that's you basically like brand the wave with your turn and then it's yours forevermore okay i can get behind that okay so that that wasn't what i was offended by what i was offended by was his absolutely atrocious attempt at spanish um i mean it was i'll give it to him it was quick thinking i I would not have been able to come up with that strategy on the spot if there was a, a giant man paddling toward me angrily but I just found that incredibly offensive, so um, I'm just going to rip straight into my penance. My penance is you have to go and learn Spanish to a reasonable degree, where you can get around, you know, whether it's in Spain or Costa Rica or some other Spanish-speaking nation, and not be completely lost, because I think I speak for 
well, actually, no, I don't want to speak for Spanish-speaking people, but I was offended being a, a, a very American gringo who speaks very poor Spanish, but it's at least it's not offensive like that. You know, we're looking at this from a similar... I think we're offended for the same reason. And um, for me, like, living in France for a while, now being new to Portugal, the amount of just horrible mistakes that you make in language when you're trying to learn a new one they um like i'll never forget when we first moved to france my wife must have been off like her first french lesson and just we went into the internet store or like the telecommunity the internet store what the fuck oh <laughs> you guys got an internet store in france we do that's where you buy it like a telecommunications store like a verizon you know boost mobile if you're a drug dealer or Jack Robinson or Andy Irons um, in 2001. <laughs> Must have been hot off French lesson number one. Confuse like I want or I need with I am. And she just walks in there and just tells them that she is internet. Um, <laughs> but like confidently. Confidently. <sighs> and... Yeah, another one. Just the other day, I I was I needed a battery for this. The battery that's in this pod in the Zoom mic that's recording this podcast right now, I needed new ones for. Um, so I walk into the store, and I'm like, "Oh shit, I don't know the word for battery in Portuguese yet." And so I Google translate it, and it tells me "bateria," and it's similar in France where there's a word for like the battery that's like kind of in your phone that you're gonna charge when you plug, and like the little actual mm-hmm. things and. Um, the thing told me batteria. So I asked for that and they're like, Oh, you want peelish? No, no, no. <laughs> already watched it. The word there is peelish. Yeah. For batteries. Okay. Peela is dick. Ah. And so I was asked for a battery and she was like, Yeah, peelish. And I was like, Yeah, <laughs> peelish. And she's like, Basically, we had this conversation where she she said, oh, you want batteries? I went, yeah, dick. <laughs> and so she started laughing at my face. And that's why I feel just like you. It's it's just this guy is, he's trying to use language. He's, he's taking advantage of this as an out. And there's a lot of people struggling with this. And so I'm going to come at it from a little bit of a different angle. And I think what he needs to do, because... I'm going to focus on these misunderstandings, right? And the same accent that he used to say that he didn't speak English to essentially Kobe Aberdeen, um, he needs to get back into that character and he needs to tell a goofy foot one day in the water that they surf like Morgan Sibillic. <laughs> because I don't think anybody knows what Morgan Sibillic surfs like. I mean, he was top five last year. He fell off mid-year cut. He clearly surfs good, <laughs> but he doesn't have that, like, Connor Coffin's really powerful. You know, Callanan's really spry and good at airs. Like, he doesn't have that really identifiable characteristic. And so I think telling a goofy foot in a weird accent, look him in the eyes, eye contact the whole way through, tell him that they surf like Morgan Sibillic, it's, it's a compliment for the everyday surfer without a doubt. But, um, yeah, that's what I want him to do. That's Step beautiful. On. Do you think the person would take offense, like the average goofy footer? Can you speak for your tribe? 
Absolutely not. If somebody told me I surfed like Morgan Spill, I'd get back. Fuck yeah, that guy beat John twice. Okay, fair enough. Um, sorry, I'm still stuck on your wife walking in and saying I am internet. Did did the people in the internet store start bowing or like how did that go from there? They just gave her money. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So it worked. They said thank you. Oh, they said oh shit, our bills due again, and they just paid her, and we. That's how we afforded to live. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, so um, yeah, go tell the Goofy Footies Morgan Sibillic or learn Spanish. One's probably a little easier than the other, but uh, one will also serve you a lot better in life. So it's your choice, Stefan, which is an oddly Latin-sounding name for such a an appropriative mm, Aussie. Mm, yeah, go back to your roots, buddy. All right, as always, feel free to send your surf sins into Michael at stabbank.com, Buck at stabbank.com, or Danny at stabbank.com, and we will share them on the show. And please, on the other side of that, if you do get featured in the show, we would love to see you sending in proof of your penances being fulfilled. Like I said, that's how you heal, that's how we all get better, and the world becomes a better place. So hit us there, and until next week, this has been The Drop. Mm-hmm.